Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Have you ever had one of those weeks? Today is Palm Sunday. The world is marking the the day of commemorating the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This begins what we call Holy Week or Passion Week. It amazes me, but probably shouldn't, that the same people who could cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, would by Friday of the same week cry out, crucify him. Why? That's our series that we're in. Why? Not not why did they cry out Hosanna because he gave all evidence that he was the Messiah. And, and not even why did they cry out crucify. Why the cross? Why did Jesus die? Why was he crucified? This time in the Easter season we spend a lot of time and we hear the story over and over again. Usually when we talk about the cross, we go into the gory details of the brutality of, of His death, the innocence of Jesus. We point out the pain and the injustice. And there's one thing that we, we rarely do. We rarely really go back to the Scripture and say, why? Why the cross? Romans 8, uh, excuse me, Romans 5, 6 says this in the New Living Translation. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Verse 7 and 8 say, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright, might be willing, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This morning I want to focus on the cross in a a, a brand new way for me. Uh, You know, I've been preaching a long time and I told you last week how many Easter's I've done and that's not the point. The point is this. Don't ever stop reading the Bible for yourself. The Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal Himself, wanting to reveal Jesus to you. And I just want to encourage you. We at New Covenant have the purpose. We want to invite all people to come to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ through relationship. But I want you to hear that. We want you to know Jesus, not New Covenant. We want you to know Jesus and what He's done. Because in knowing Jesus, you can build a life on Him. But I want to look at the cross, perhaps from a different angle. The cross wasn't wasn't really meant for Jesus. That's what I began to see this week. What we what what the, the cross was really the wage of sin that we owed. When God warned Adam that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would die. The cross was his future. The fruit of that tree will work its death in you no matter who you are. The cross is the best picture in history that reveals what sin will do to the sinner. 
It was hell on earth. The cross, and we use that a lot in the church, the cross, and you'll hear a lot about the cross, and there's been all kinds of things about the cross. The cross itself, a wooden object on which Jesus died, is only significant because of the one who died there. Jesus died like no other before or after. His death was different from all other deaths. Jesus wasn't a martyr on the cross. He was a Savior. (laughs) In fact, Jesus did everything different than anybody else. Jesus was born like no other. He was born of a virgin. Jesus lived the life like no other because He was without sin. And He did. He was born the way He was born. He lived the way He lived so that He could die like no other for sinners. I'm going to ask you a trick question because I had not got to the sermon yet. Is that okay? Who killed Jesus? Don't answer because you'll probably get it wrong. Who killed Jesus? John 10, 18. I want to show it to you from the Bible. Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power authority to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command, charge, this ability has been given to me, I have received from my Father. Here's the point. Jesus wasn't killed on the cross. He gave His life on the cross. It was a divine plan Revelation tells us before the foundation of the world. He's the lamb slain. That led to a perfect provision in Jesus Christ. That gives us an eternal promise of life forever. So I want us to take a look at Jesus on the cross. Perhaps in a way that, well, I'll just say this. I haven't seen it this way before. And uh, I want to start in a strange place. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians 2, 6. Verse 1 says this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on down there. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery, something to be grabbed hold of, to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. The point of is in italics, which means that when it's in italics, in your, especially in the King James and the New King James Bible, it means it's not in the original. It's just trying to clarify. But here's the way it is in the original. He became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And what I, God has shown me is that uh, Jesus wasn't taken to the cross. He submitted to the cross. And if you read the account in the Gospels, that we're going to look at one in just a moment, and you look, I want you to see how in charge Jesus really is. And how in charge He was 
when he was headed for the cross and when he was on the cross. And John 18 and John 19, hopefully you'll read through that this week. This week would be a perfect time to read through John 18 and 19 and, and 20 and 21. But I want to show you something that, that just blew my mind because I was asking God, God, how do I say this? And I said it to you last week. How do you say, how do you preach Easter that you hadn't preached a hundred times before? And this week he just dropped it. Let me show you. I like when he shows you. Remember, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. John 18. We have the scene of Jesus' arrest and trial. But I want to look, I want you to see how in charge Jesus was. Verse 4 of John 18. It's going to be on the screen. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They've come to the garden where Jesus' and the disciples were praying. And now they've come with a cohort to arrest him. And Jesus walks up to them and says, Who are you seeking? He initiates the arrest. And we know he goes and then they they beat him and they do all those things. Then he gets before Pilate. In verse 37 of 18, Pilate therefore says to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And now he's, he's kind of bounced around between the, 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 the religious leaders and the political leaders of his day. And in, ver, in chapter 19, verse 11, Pilate has come and told Jesus, Don't you realize I have the power of death in my hand? I, I can send you to the cross. I can take your life. And I want you to see what he said in verse 11. Jesus answers Pilate and he says this, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. You know who delivered him? The religious leaders. Hmm. But Jesus is in charge. And I'm going to take the time, but on the cross, I want you to understand that Jesus was in absolute control of his faculties. Now, he's been beaten. He's been uh, gone and shoved around. He's been sleepless. They've made him carry his own cross. All these kind of things that's going on. And Jesus is on the cross. And I want to show you that Jesus was in absolute control of his faculties on the cross. As all these, while they were uh, casting lots for his, his clothes and those things and hearing them mock him and stuff, Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's seven sayings in the Gospels. The thieves, one begins to mock, and the other says, Don't you have a fear of God? And this is the next words of Jesus. Jesus absolutely hearing everything and knowing what was going on says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Mary and John was there at the cross. And Jesus dying for sin, dying on the cross, took time to say, Woman, behold your son. John, your mother. And then in the when darkness then just came at midday and covered the earth. 
Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He wasn't without strength. He wasn't out of his mind. He cried out with a loud voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's conscious of every aspect. And as things began, and he was even conscious of the prophecies of Scripture about that time. Look at John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, other Gospels say He cried with a loud voice again, It is finished. This is the part I want you to see. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Tetelesta. It is finished. It means to accomplish, to bring to an end, to complete an obligation successfully, to pay in full, to cancel the debt. In other words, it means I did exactly what I set out to do. And this word is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means it's an action which has been completed in the past, which results that continue on in the present and forever. Past tense looks back and says, this happened. That's what we usually do at Easter. This happened. Perfect tense of what Jesus said from the cross says, This happened, and it's still in effect. What was finished? You ready for the sermon now? What was finished? I want to show you three things that Jesus did on the cross that I don't know that we see. Because we've heard the story. Listen, we've heard the story. First of all, the suffering. Here's my statement to you. Jesus took It all, and when I say it all, Jesus took all sin and the consequences of the fall upon Himself. Now, I want to show it to you. Jesus took it all. All. You see, we've heard it so many times that we've trained our eyes to see Jesus' suffering as the judgment of God upon sin. And it virtually blinds us, it did me, to the more obvious point that Jesus suffered From the wickedness of humanity. Listen to me. Who put the crown of, who platted the thorns and put on his head? The devil didn't do it. Man did it. Who beat him with the, the, the whips? Satan didn't do it. Man did it. Who thrust the spear in his side? A Roman soldier did it. What I'm trying to see is it was the sin of the human race, not the Father who rejected God's Son. The wrath poured out on Jesus didn't originate in the Father's heart, but in ours. The humiliation of Jesus that He bore, the torment that He suffered, was not divine. It was human. We sinners mocked Him. We sinners detested Him. We sinners judged Him. We ridiculed Him. We tortured Him. We turned our face away from Him. 
It wasn't the Father or the Holy Spirit who turned on Jesus. It was the human race. And here's what I saw. I saw a picture of Satan sitting back. Everybody blaming Satan for the crucifixion. Satan, Satan sitting back and says, no, it wasn't me. It's your people that's doing it. It's their sin. I didn't have to lift a finger. They arrested you. They beat you. They did it. Who loves you now, Jesus? And Jesus took it. He took it all. And there's something better than that. He took it all by choice. In the agonizing atrocity of the cross and the utter darkness that faced him there, Jesus consciously and continuously submitted to the Father's plan. At any point of the process, he could have called for a legion of angels and wiped out everyone who was torturing him. You know the song he could have called? Ten thousand angels. (laughs) And he just stayed there. I don't know that I've ever willingly submitted to the dark times in my life. I, I, I mean, I rarely feel in control. How about you? And I thought about it. If I could have called a legion of angels to get me out of some of the fixes I got myself into, I would have said, what's their number? Wouldn't you? I wouldn't have hung in the pain. I wouldn't have hung in the torture. I wouldn't have hung on in the temptation. I wouldn't have hung on at all. I would have given up. I'd have called on whatever could have helped me. That Jesus would endure such hostility against himself with the full freedom to end it. Makes me stand in awe all the more of the cross. Jesus took all the suffering. He took it all. He took all of it by choice. Number two, on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin, conquered the power of sin, finished the power of sin. And I'm going to mess with your theology again, okay? Because he messed with mine. I'd like you to be in the same boat I'm in. The cross was not just an act of punishment for sin. Jesus didn't just step forward as an innocent victim and take our place on death row. Punishment alone doesn't break the power of sin. You have kids. They do something wrong. You punish them. It didn't break the power. They just figure out how to hide it better next time. And it's not only kids that do that. Everybody got any... Everybody. Anybody get a speeding ticket? No. Some of you are holy. No, no, no. Okay. If you've ever got a speeding ticket, did it break the temptation to speed? No, you just bought a radar detector. It doesn't matter how big the ticket was. You paid the price, and now you pay attention. With the full intent 
of getting by with it again. Punishment doesn't break the power. And so as I saw that, I said, okay, God, what is it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, innocent, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The cross wasn't just about exacting punishment on sin. It was about prevailing over sin's power. And this is what got me because I'd never seen it. In Jesus, God didn't just punish sin. He served up the antidote that Christ was able to endure everything sin had to throw at it, at Him. In other words, He stayed on the cross. He took it. And He took it. And He took it for hours. He took it. And He kept taking it. Enduring. Right on the cross, the Son of God stood nose to nose with the power of sin. And He took it all. Now, let's quote that verse again. And bowing His head in submission to the Father... He gave up His Spirit. Not in submission to sin, but in submission to the Father as payment for all the sin of the world. He wasn't out of control. Kill me quick. He was absolutely in control even to the end of the endurance To where he knew, knowing it was finished. I I got a feeling Jesus was looking around all the rest of the time. But now he bows his head in submission to the Father. And says, I'll pay it. Jesus became sin and paid its price. It broke its power. Sin no longer can condemn you because Jesus paid it all. Sin has no power over you because Jesus broke it at the cross. You got time for one more? I got five minutes. The suffering, the power of sin. Oh, oh, there's so much more I left out. The power of the devil. At the cross, I love this, the devil was double-crossed. You see, I can see the devil sitting back saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, they did it. See, Jesus, that's what, that's what your people will do, thanks to Adam. That's the, full, that's the full measure of what man would do left to himself under the fall. And then all of a sudden, when Jesus bowed his head, I can see the devil say, what's that? And when Jesus submitted to the Father and paid the price of death, Satan's power was broken. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The word destroy there is kata argo. Kata, I, I practice that. Kata, that Greek word. It means to make null, to render powerless. The same word is used other places in Scripture to, to bring to nothing, to be without effect. In other words, God didn't remove Satan. He just took away his bite. He took away his authority. He took away his power. Because what was his power? The power was the power of death. Not the power of physical death. We always hear death. We think of stop breathing. The word death here talks about separation from the life source, which was God. You see, when you quit breathing, you're not going to be separated from the life source unless you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to meet the life source and you're going to know what that means. If you do know Jesus, you're going to pass into the presence of the life source and live eternally in Him. That's the only death we talk about. But this death He's talking about, through death He might destroy Him who had the power of death. Here, preacher, what do you mean He doesn't have the power of death? Remember Job? Satan went to God and said, let me have him. And God said, you can do anything except take his life. The death that the devil had power in was the wages of sin. You see, until Jesus died, the devil had the power of legal accusation against every one of us. Because we were born in Adam. We were sinners. The devil had every right to stand before God and say, Daryl... Daryl deserves to go to hell to be separated from God forever because he not only is a sinner he has sinned big time and God would say Satan you're right but when Jesus died Having no sin, all the legal rights of Satan were gone. The debt was paid in full. Death had been accomplished. The devil's power was made null, void, empty. I'm going to take this statement. You're going to think it's blasphemous. I believe it with all of my heart. Today, the devil has nothing on me. Nothing. Not because I'm somebody or because I'm a big confessor. He has nothing on me because Jesus paid it all. He took it. You're going to like this the next part. Romans 8.33 Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one, for God Himself has given us the right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Jesus, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Notice that, sitting in the place of honor. You say, well, preacher, but when we sin, doesn't Satan have the right to accuse us and condemn us? Logic says yes, but I want you to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in the New Living. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you that you will not sin. You don't have to. But if anyone does sin, whether by accident or intentional, we don't have very many accidents, do we? We have intentionals. If anyone sin, 
We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. The next time you sin, the next time the devil trips you up, you fall face flat in the middle of, of, of what he's... In, instigated you to do. The next time you have totally blown it, stepped out of it, instead of getting on a guilt trip and condemnation and thinking you've lost your salvation, I want you to have this picture. I'm laying flat on my face before God or before my sin and I realize I lift my head The Satan's saying, look, you did it again. You did it again. And I say, you're right, Satan. And I look and I look into heaven and I see Jesus stand up. Next to the Father. And he says, I got that. I got that. I got that. I got that. Don't wallow in sin and guilt because Jesus has endured the suffering. He's broken the power of sin and he has broken the power of the devil. Why the cross? I want to give you another picture because this is what he gave to me. On the cross, when Jesus gave and submitted his spirit to the Father, God the Father stood in the universe that he had created and he said, Sin no more. Satan, no more. It is finished. Paid in full. And God opened the veil, rent from the top to the bottom, and He opened the way for whosoever will admit our sin and see what He did and receive it as our own. He will forgive us our sin and will birth us into His kingdom. Forever and ever and ever. That's why the cross. Jesus came because the Father wouldn't let the fall stop Him. He has so much love for you that He would rather let His Son down a cross than not to have you in His person, in His family. You're part of God's plan. Jesus gave up His life for you that He might give His life to you. You want to step into God's plan? For you? I want to ask you to stand together with me. It's very simple. The way's been made. The price has been paid. You just believe it. You receive it. You give thanks to the one who loves you enough to redeem you. Listen to me. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross to change God. He went to the cross to change you. Receive it. I want you to bow with me in prayer. I'm going to just say a prayer. I'm going to pray like, like I would hope you would pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you loved us enough that you wouldn't 
you wouldn't keep on going without us. We thank you that you loved us enough to give your son for us. That you might give your life to us. I confess to you I'm a sinner. I confess to you that we are sinners. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And all that He did for me. I trust you to forgive me and to make me your own. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's a fitting song to finish with because that's your answer. The next time the devil comes knocking at your door with the ATF, the attitudes, temptations, and fears that he brings, that's what we say. Hallelujah. That word means thank you and glory to God. Thank you, Father God, that all those things have no power over me and we give God the glory for it. That's all you have to say. Hallelujah. That's the answer to the devil when he comes knocking at your door. Amen. It's just that easy, folks. A few quick announcements for you. This Wednesday, April the 13th at 6.30, our married couple's potluck will be at Common Grounds. We're celebrating backyard barbecues, so bring a little something on that theme to share with a friend. It's at 6.30. Common Grounds this Friday, April 15th, will be closed in honor of Easter weekend. Spend time with your family. Enjoy them. And lastly, next week, if you can, please attend the first service, and I'll tell you why. We're expecting a large crowd, number one. Number two, if you go to first service, you are so much more likely to get a good seat at lunch. Okay? I mean it. Thank you all for coming. Have a blessed week and enjoy your, your week together. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 